You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, I Am the Way, the Truth, and the Life, is part six in the series, I Am For You, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. Well, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Scott. Thank you to our, our choir. Good gracious, that was so good. It's one of those mornings where I wish we could just rewind, do the whole thing again. Uh, but I have a sermon to preach. And so I want to ask you to please find John chapter 14. Find in your Bible John chapter 14. We have been in the Gospel of John for six weeks now. Because we're looking at seven statements Jesus made in the Gospel of John that all begin with the words, I am. And we're looking at them one by one over seven weeks because each of them has an important meaning for your life and for your purpose. And then as a package, all seven of them understood together are so foundational for our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Now, we have to understand that for the Jewish people in Jesus' day, those words and that title, I am, was super meaningful, and they would only say those words very reverently, and uh, they would only say them in reference to Almighty God, because I am was the name that God gave for himself when he revealed himself to a man named Moses, one of the uh, key passages of the Bible. And uh, from the burning bush, the Lord called Moses. He said to him, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses said, well, who should I say has sent me? What is your name? And the Lord said to him, tell them I am sent you. And then he said, I am that I am. And I believe what God meant by that is uh, I exist eternally, independently. I have no beginning and no ending. I eternally am. And implied in that is the fact that God has no equal, he has no needs, he is God all by himself. He alone is sovereign over all the earth and he alone deserves the praise of his creation. He is the great I am. And so this is the name, the title of God. So you can imagine how scandalous it was when Jesus said, I am, and Jesus rightfully took that title for himself. Uh, the, The Jewish leadership lost their minds when he said that because they knew what it meant. They knew that Jesus was claiming, hey, I am him. I am God in the flesh. I'm the one who exists eternally, who created everything, who rules over all creation and all history. And so Jesus made that claim, I am. And then he added to it seven different descriptors. And uh, he did that, I think, in order to give us a clear picture of exactly who he is. Jesus said 
in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life, and whoever eats of me will never hunger. Uh, that is, you'll be eternally satisfied in Jesus. And then he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus said, I am the door. Whoever enters by me will be saved. He said, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and whoever abides in me will bear much fruit. And then today, I want us to look at the sixth one, and we find it in John 14, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here's the setting for John chapter 14. The city is Jerusalem. It's early in April of 33 AD. The time is the Jewish feast of Passover. When Jews by the hundreds of thousands would flock to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate and so the city was filled with people like a rod run weekend in Pigeon Forge. Jesus, and I think this is symbolic, Jesus, we find, has taken his disciples into an upper room as if to tell them, I want you to rise above all of this and ascend with me to a place where I can teach you and I can minister to you. And so they're there in the upper room and understand the timing here. As we read in John chapter 14, the night after he said all those things, the night of the, that same day, Jesus will be arrested. The next afternoon, Jesus will be crucified. And the disciples know that something is up, but they don't quite understand exactly what it is. And so up in that upper room, while they eat the last supper with Jesus together, something we're going to symbolize in just a few minutes with the Lord's Supper, Jesus says to them while they're eating, one of you is going to betray me. And then he tells Simon Peter directly, you're going to deny that you even know me before tomorrow morning. And so these things are, are troubling. It's a lot to take in. The, the anxiety level in that upper room is very high. And Jesus says in John 14, verse 1, these words, let not your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Now, why would he say that? Well, you have to understand that these disciples, when it comes to Jesus Christ, they are all in. All of them had left homes and jobs and businesses in order to follow Jesus for the past three years. And the attitude of all of them, except for Judas Iscariot, was, Jesus, 
we believe in you. We believe that you are the Messiah sent from God. Now, uh, they thought, like virtually all the Jews in that day, that if Jesus was the Messiah, then he was going to be a uh, sort of a warrior king, a freedom fighter who would overthrow the Roman government, usher in the kingdom of God on earth like the Old Testament promised. And uh, so their attitude was this, hey, Jesus has chosen us to do this with him. And, and so we're banking our lives on the fact that he is the one. And so they were all in. But now they, they hear Jesus saying some strange things. In chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus said, Look, men, I'm, I'm going to be with you only a little while longer, and then I'm going to go away. And where I'm going, you cannot go. And so they're troubled. That's the word Jesus uses in verse 1. Don't let your heart be troubled. The word troubled there uh, has the idea of, of inner turmoil, inner commotion. It's the opposite of being at peace and at rest. And so what we find is these disciples... Because of what Jesus is saying, and they don't fully understand it, they're, they're feeling troubled. They, they feel unsafe and unsure facing the unknown. And so Jesus addresses all that in verse 1 when he says, Let not your heart be troubled. And, and then here's what, he's, here's what he's looking for. You believe in God... Believe also in me. And I just love that verse because this is the heart of Jesus, isn't it? That he's just hours away from being betrayed and arrested and abandoned and beaten and nailed to a cross. And yet the disciples are like, what are we going to do? Everything's... Falling apart, oh no, and they're freaking out. Now, what, what we might expect Jesus to, to, to be is perturbed at them. We might expect him to say, hey, what are you guys nervous about? Don't you remember the other day when my friend Lazarus was dead and I told him he couldn't be dead anymore? Don't you remember when that uh, that storm was raging and I told the storm it had to quit storming? Don't you remember when I fed the 5,000 with a little kid's lunch? Don't you remember all of that? What, what are you nervous about? Y'all are sitting here having a group anxiety attack while I'm the one who's heading to the cross. Are you serious right now? If it was me, I, I think I would be Highly agitated at the disciples, making it all about them in this moment when Jesus is headed to the cross. But that's not Jesus. Listen to his love here. He says to them, let not your heart be troubled. Can you imagine that? With what Jesus is facing when he could have given them a rebuke, instead he gives them 
compassion. And he doesn't offer them shame. Instead, he ministers to them. He's concerned about their hearts. He, he wants to comfort them. And, and here's what he urges them to do. He said, believe in me. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in me. And I think what he meant was, if you believe in me, you can have an untroubled heart in a troubled world. If you just believe in me. What he says next uh, is the way that he comforts them. And it's good news. Listen to this. Verse 2. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. Now remember what he's doing. He's saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Here's how he comforts them. In my father's house, heaven, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now, what I think Jesus was doing was very clear to those disciples. Maybe not so clear to us because of our uh, because we don't share that culture that they lived in. What I think Jesus was doing was that he was using the language of a wedding in order to reassure those disciples and to change their perspective about the future. Uh, those disciples knew in their culture that a wedding happened in two parts with a break in between those two parts. The first part was called the betrothal. Uh, sort of like a, an engagement in our culture, but, but much more formal and binding than that. And then after that, there was a, a break. And later, there was the second part, which was the wedding feast. The wedding feast was an incredibly huge affair in the Jewish community. It was like a wedding ceremony and a wedding reception that went on for a week and a honeymoon all combined in one. It was a big deal. And in between the betrothal and the wedding feast, there was a period of time for the groom to prepare a place for he and his bride to live. And unless you were very wealthy, what you would do in that situation, if you were the groom, is that you would, you would go back to your parents' home and you would build a little apartment onto their home for you and your new wife to live in. And uh, there was drama built in here and anticipation and excitement because the bride didn't know how long that was going to take. She didn't know when exactly the groom was going to be finished preparing the place for her. And, and so there was anticipation and it was an exciting event when finally the groom had the place prepared. He would come and he would say, it's all ready. Come on, we're going to our new home. And, and so he would go back and he would get his bride and he would bring her back to the place where they were going to start their lives together. Jesus said, I think inferring that, Jesus said to his disciples, listen, don't, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going, but I'm going to prepare a place for you 
in my father's house. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. Uh, That word mansions, by the way, uh, translates the Greek word mane, which means simply a residence or a dwelling place. I love those old gospel songs about, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in heaven, and uh, you're all invited to my mansion and, and all of that. But I don't think Jesus was teaching that we're all going to live in huge houses like the Biltmore all by ourselves. Uh, It's going to be so much better than that because he said we're all going to be together in his father's house. And so he's preparing a place for us there. And he said to his disciples, I'm going to prepare that place and I'm coming back to get you. You're not sure when that's going to be, but I'm coming back to get you because where I am, I want you to be also with me, with me. And, and then in verse 4, uh, Jesus says this. And we learn a lot from what Jesus says and then a statement by Thomas, the disciple. Verse 4, Jesus says, and where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And so Jesus is comforting them. And he says, so guys, you know where I'm going and you know the way to get there. And Thomas says, no, we don't. (laughs) And I just love his honesty there. No, we don't. We don't know where you're going. So how could we possibly know the way to get there? We don't know. And I love Jesus' answer to what Thomas said It's our I am statement for today in verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. Think about this. It's as if Jesus is saying, Thomas... How can you say you don't know the way? You know me, don't you? If you know me, you already know the way. Because I am the way. No one comes to the Father's house except through me. And so Thomas, hear Jesus saying this. Thomas, knowing me, believing in me is all you need. If you know me, then Thomas, I've got you. I'm going to get you home if you believe in me. Now, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. uh, And in the Lord's Supper, the, the bread is symbolic of the body of Jesus, which he gave as a sacrifice for our sins. The cup is symbolic of the blood that Jesus shed as he died to save us. Uh, We're going to share that together. But before we do, I I want to encourage you with four ways Jesus is the way. Four ways that Jesus is the way. Here's the first one. Jesus is the way to escape what separates us from God 
which is sin and death. Here's the the teaching of the entire body of Scripture. On our own, we are powerless to escape the hold that sin has on us. We just can't do it. And so this is our greatest problem. Our sin, we can't escape it on our own. We can't escape the death that our sin incurs. And so this is the problem that we can't think our way out of. We can't legislate our way out of. We can't talk our way out of. We can't buy our way out of. And, and this has nothing to do with a person's nationality or their education level or their political ideas or how much money you may have. The Bible teaches we are all, every one of us, sinners by nature and by choice. And as sinners, we are trapped in our sin. We're held captive in our sin. We are doomed to suffer the wrath of God for our sins. We're doomed to die in our sins. That is our great problem. Aren't you glad that Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus is the way of escape for us out of our sin and out of that sentence of death. How did he do it? He went to the cross. Jesus took responsibility on the cross for all of our sins. He died in our place as our substitute. The death that you and I deserve, Jesus died. And so if you believe in him, your sins are forgiven. His righteousness is imputed to you. It counts for you and you escape sin and death. Jesus is the way of escape. Number two, Jesus is the way to access eternity in heaven with God. God the Father has provided only one way. Jesus used the definite article. I am the way. God has provided only one way to gain access to heaven, and that is through his son, Jesus. And Jesus said, believe in me. If you believe in him, he not only saves you and walks with you and shepherds you through this life. But when you die, he brings you with him to his father's house. And he says, this one is with me. And through Jesus, we have access to eternity with God in heaven. Number three, Jesus is the way to know who God is and how God loves. I think that's what he meant when he said, I am The truth in verse 6. If you want to know the truth about God's character and, and God's love, get to know Jesus. He is the truth. If you've seen him, you have seen the Father. Believe in Jesus. Know Jesus and you will know the truth. And so that means knowing Jesus is sufficient. Uh, There is no theological class that you have to pass in order to go to heaven. There's no doctrinal test that you have to ace at the end of your life to be saved. There's no work you have to do to add to that so that you can be fully saved. Knowing Jesus is enough. And so 
Jesus is the way to know God. He is the truth. And number four, Jesus is the way to overcome death and live forever. I think that's what he meant when he said, I am the life. Jesus said, believe in me. I'm the life. In other words, believe in me, he said, and I'll get you home. I'll get you home to heaven. In verse 2, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, where did Jesus have to go and what did Jesus have to do to open up access to heaven, to prepare that place for us? Where did he have to go? What did he have to do? I think the answer is what we're about to symbolize in the Lord's Supper. Jesus had to go to the cross and he had to die for our sins. Jesus was saying to his disciples, I go where I alone can go to do what I alone can do to open up access to heaven, to make a way for you to be saved. Today, we're going to remember that, what it cost him, and we're going to celebrate that in the Lord's Supper. And so at this time, I want to ask the deacons who are going to be serving to please come and take their places. The chairman of our deacons this year has been Houston Hodges. Houston is going to come, and Houston, I want to ask you to lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving uh, for what we're about to do today. And a couple of things about that uh, before Houston prays. Number one, uh, I think it's important, Houston, based on what the Apostle Paul said, uh, instructing the church about the Lord's Supper. He said, first, before you do this, examine yourself. And uh, so I want to ask you, Houston, if you would uh, just give everybody a minute to pray. Uh, I think this is a good time to just say, Lord, is there anything in my life that doesn't please you? Is there anything uh, that I've done against you? Is there any way I've sinned? Is there something in me that, that needs to be uh, confessed and repented of and forgiven? And if so, uh, now is the time to do that. So if you would, Houston, give us just a minute to, to pray. Uh, the other thing is this. Um, remember the context here? That the disciples were troubled and Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Uh, are you troubled today? Maybe that there's something that's worrying you, making you nervous, uh, some hurt that you're dealing with in your life, some disappointment. If you're troubled today, this is for you. It's all about perspective, isn't it? In the Lord's Supper, we remember what Jesus did, how much He loves us, what He has promised us. And, and so, in a way, like Jesus 
with the disciples in the upper room. Uh, we need to go up there with Jesus and let all these other things fall by the wayside and rise above it and remember what Jesus did for us and be comforted if we're troubled. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know in my life I, I ask a lot of questions like Thomas. But your son gave us the complete answer. For when we're searching, he is the way. When we're troubled, he's the way. We don't know what to do he's the way father and you are the truth and you give us life father may this morning we be reminded of that as as we partake in this lord's supper father may we remember and never forget the ultimate sacrifice that you gave so that we may have life and it's in jesus name we pray Amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.